0: Well, welcome to a special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. So grateful to have you along for the ride, especially if you are listening here on Labor Day and today's a holiday for you and maybe you've never heard the Bottom Line Show before. Well, if you have never heard the program, thank you so much for tuning in. I do this every holiday just to remind people where you can find us. Uh, If you're listening to one of our terrestrial affiliates, that would be uh, KBRT AM 740 in Southern California, Bright AM 1240 in San Diego, we are heard in National City on FM 103.3, a nice little translator there for our friends in my former hometown of Corona, California, uh, 100.7 FM. That carries the KBRT Bright signal as well. You can get the KBRT and Crawford Broadcasting in Southern California from basically from Ventura County line to the Mexican border to the Nevada border. It's a huge signal. And then for those who are listening in Northern California on KCBC, uh, AM 770, FM 94.7, we are covering the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, Sacramento all the way on down to, again, that legendary Nevada border, all the way into Central Valley. And uh, we have so many different markets that are represented there as well. We cover about 90% of the state with uh, just those two signals. And then our two Colorado affiliates, we have KLTT AM670, uh, which covers with 50,000 watts, covers the whole state, and into Wyoming as well, and into New Mexico. I haven't heard from any New Mexican listeners yet, but I know we're down there at the Four Corners area. And then for those who listen on KLDC, our five-year relationship with uh, AM1220 in Denver uh, continues to go and grow strong. And would love hearing from listeners all. All over the place. We are currently heard, <clears throat> excuse me, we're heard in 31 uh, different markets and we're so very grateful. Also, we podcast at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn. You can hear that all at TheBottomLineShow.com and RogerMarsh.com. And if that weren't enough, we've got video for you as well. A lot of the programming that we have, uh, video at MyHopeNow.com and the My Hope Now app, Kbright app, KCBC app. I mean, there's lots of different ways to as they say in the current vernacular consume the media that is in fact um, the, the Bottom Line Show. So it's uh, grateful to have you along for the ride here. And as we are here, I, I should also point out too, this is kind of just one of those fun little things. Uh, today's Labor Day, September 5th. Two weeks from today, we'll be celebrating our 11th anniversary of the Bottom Line Show. And I hope you'll listen in. It's going to be a very special program. I have no idea who we're going to have on the show yet, but uh, it's going to be a, just a, a wonderful time to uh, celebrate this time and celebrate the goodness of, of God's provision for us here in this uh, time slot. Um, it's a, uh, a, a dare I say for our Southern California listeners. Uh, to my knowledge, not one program has held at this time slot longer than the Bottom Line Show. Even the venerable and bless his heart may rest with peace with the Lord. Even Rich Bueller uh, didn't have as long a run in his time slot with uh, K Bright as uh, the Bottom Line Show has. So we're very, very I don't I don't take that for granted whatsoever. Um, today is Labor Day, and I know a lot of people have the day off. Uh, obviously, we're here, you know, doing our thing. But if you do have this day off, you might be wondering, okay, most of the holidays that we have, the federal Monday holiday bill was enacted, what, in the 1970s, and it really started to kick in in the 1980s, but that's when we took, you know, it it seemed like the federal holidays became more consolidated. At the time the federal holiday bill was passed, there was no January holiday. Then in the mid-1980s, Martin Luther King Day, um, his birthday is recognized, I believe, January the 21st, but... Um, it's the third Monday of um, of January, is recognized as Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And then in February, we had kind of a dogfight going on. On February 22nd, that is George Washington's birthday. Uh, Abe Lincoln's birthday is February the 12th, and it's, well, as you can imagine— <laughs> This is a weird thing growing up in California. I thought, well, we have Lincoln's birthday on the 12th and we have Washington's birthday on the 22nd. How come we don't just have, you know, how come they're not national holidays? Washington's birthday was, he was the first president of the United States, but Lincoln's wasn't. And it wasn't until I got older, I realized, oh, you know, there might be some parts of the United States that aren't really happy that Abraham Lincoln was president when he did what he did with the Emancipation Proclamation, et cetera, et cetera. So around that time, when the Monday Holiday Bill became a deal, um, the, the third Monday of the month of February became known as President's Day. Ostensibly, it was to honor those two presidents, Washington and Lincoln, but now a lot of people are under the impression that it's to honor every president that ever served. Well, whatever you believe, that's what you believe. Uh, Easter Sunday, federal holiday in uh, the whenever Easter Sunday lands, anywhere from March until late April. Um, Good Friday, not a federal holiday, but for many people. It winds up becoming a holiday. And then Memorial Day, also known as Decoration Day, was historically May the 31st, and then it became the last Monday of the month of May. And uh, that's, you know, been cause for conversation. Uh, Federal holidays on the Monday holiday bill, July 4th is always celebrated July 4th. Um, Labor Day is the first Monday of September. And then You have Columbus Day in October, which I will pick a bone with, um, in all honesty. Are we honoring the guy who landed in the quote-unquote Americas? Well, if that's the case, that's Leif Erikson back in the 11th century. So we don't have Leif Erikson Day. Why why do we have Christopher Columbus Day? Especially since Columbus sent his guys to... spout out you know then find the new world it was called but columbus actually never set foot in north america so i'm not quite sure why we have a columbus day but that's for another conversation veterans day or armistice day november the 11th um and that's celebrated on veterans day and then of course christmas day shows up in december whenever it does i mean whatever day of the week it does the uh, monday holiday bill sought to help federal workers always have three-day weekends and um since we've added Martin Luther King Day, and then of course I I went I glossed over Juneteenth because that wasn't part of the original Monday Holiday Bill, but now Juneteenth is celebrated on June 19th every year, and if it's not on a uh, weekday, then if it's so then the federal holiday is the following Monday after that. As this past year, Juneteenth was on Father's Day, so the federal holiday was the day after, and that of course is to recognize the day that the final slaves reportedly were told that they were free. The Emancipation Proclamation had been issued by President Lincoln. It was actually written in the fall of 1862. It was delivered on New Year's Day, 1863 but it wasn't until June 19th 1865 that the final slaves that were owned in southern territory that being Texas were informed of the fact that they were free now there were still slaves that were held in some northern states and the four- 13th and 14th amendments weren't passed until uh, the end of 1865 but and then we had the segregationists and the reconstruction bills and it it it, it didn't end the problem but it basically draws light to the attention of the fact that those who had been truly freed by the emancipation proclamation in some cases had to wait two and a half years before anyone told them that they were in fact free so hence the reason for celebrating Juneteenth and I know some people go ah Juneteenth another holiday we don't get it is that a Black Lives Matter thing no it's an American thing (laughs) it really is and I'm glad that many states have recognized Juneteenth for years I'm glad we recognize it here in the states now as a federal holiday but what is it with Labor Day though I mean, Labor Day doesn't seem to have any direct connection. I mean, Martin Luther King Day, great civil rights leader. President's Day, we know who the presidents are. Um, Easter Sunday, of course, uh, the resurrected Jesus Christ. Memorial Day, we honor those who paid the ultimate price in sacrifice. Uh, Juneteenth, you know, we honor the day that we that uh, that the, the, the last announcement was made to the final people serving in slavery in the South who were being impacted directly by the Civil War to let them know that the, the, basically the war was over. And then July, we celebrate the American independence. Uh, don't have a holiday in August yet, but they'll come up with something. I'm sure they will. Columbus Day because of honoring the one who is credited with discovering America. Uh, Veterans Day for the, basically the end of World War I, Armistice Day. Uh, those we we we'll honor those who served. Whereas Memorial Day we honor those who paid the ultimate price, gave their lives. And then in December we celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah, and some people celebrate Kwanzaa, and you know that's the way it goes. Though it seems like the Kwanzaa fad is kind of dying out a little bit, because I guess we should ask the the professor at Long Beach State who invented Kwanzaa, or was it Cal State Northridge? I don't. It's it's kind of like a black Hanukkah. Like, I mean I don't I don't know how else to describe that. But Labor Day is the oddball. It's the wild card. It's the strange one because it's the day that we officially, according to the History Channel, it's the day that we pay tribute to the contributions and achievements of American workers. Well, lots of people have worked in America. Why do we need a day to honor labor? Well, it was created by the labor movement in the 19th century. It became a federal holiday in 1894. So Now you begin to realize, well, wait a minute, Labor Day does have a bit more importance to us here in the States because there was a time in the U.S. when laborers did not really have any rights. Child laborers, I mean, it was was awful. And it wasn't until the height of the Industrial Revolution where people began to realize, hey, we should be treating our workers better than we do. So this was a holiday that was created in 1894 where the federal government admitted, hey, we've been kind of ripping people off for a long time. And we should do something about it, especially now that they all have union representation and that's what the unions want. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of Labor Day on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Want to continue receiving income into retirement with little market risk? Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Services can help you secure a permanent income and benefits, addressing your risk tolerance with
1: professional advisory knowledge. You have a large 401k or IRA as your retirement nest egg. How about a four-dimensional plan that will pay you and your spouse income for life without stock market risk? How about we include inflation benefits so your income goes up annually? How about we include extra income benefits for long-term care, and if you need one or both, you both have it? That's right, permanent income, inflation benefits, long-term care benefits, with no market risk. We have put over $50 million of our client's money in the 40 account in the last few years. These clients are sleeping way better at night. Learn
0: more when you call Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial, for simply better alternatives welcome back to this labor day edition of the bottom line show i'm roger marsh and we are talking about labor day why you have a holiday today if today is in fact a holiday and if you're working well god bless you for working on a holiday it was in the late 1800s at the height of the industrial revolution that in the u.s the average american was working 12 hours a day and was working seven days a week now for a nation that was founded on biblical principles That just doesn't seem right. And I have to wonder how many of these uh, bosses, these business owners, were treating workers so poorly. There were some restrictions in certain states. After all, we are the United States of America where the states can have their own rights as well. But there were some kids who were working in the mills, in the factories, in the mines. Uh, These are kids who were five, six years old. I have a five-year-old grandson. I can't imagine him working 12 hours a day in a factory. But it did. And also that you add to that the number of people who came to the United States as immigrants looking for a chance to, uh, to get a better life. And they wound up getting taken advantage of in many cases. And it was just not a great day for America to have the labor issues that we did. As manufacturing was supporting agriculture, uh, all of a sudden that's when labor unions started to show up. They began organizing strikes. They started having rallies. They basically were saying, look, you can't keep working people 12 hours a day, seven days a week for basically, you know, pauper's wages and expect people not to revolt. And so sure enough, here comes the revolution. Uh, The Haymaker Riot of 1886 was one of the major events that kind of turned the tide. Uh, Several Chicago police officers were killed in that riot. A number of workers were, were as well. And so finally... Uh, On September the 5th, ironically, because this year Labor Day is September 5th as well. September the 5th, 1882, about 10,000 workers took some time off in New York City. They knew they weren't going to get paid for it. They didn't care. They marched from City Hall to Union Square in New York City and basically held a Labor Day parade. It was the idea that the working man needed a holiday. And that was the first... September 5th, 1882 was the first Monday in September that year. And so it became kind of a tradition that the first weekend in September was recognized that across the country anyway, that was the end of summer. The seasons were beginning to change. So it was kind of a changing of seasons. So it, it kind of had a metaphorical uh, significance as well. It caught on in other industrial centers around the country. Many states began passing legislation recognizing again. It was not until May the 11th, 1894, that when employees of the Pullman Palace Car Company in Chicago went on strike to protest wage cuts and the firing of union representation, that uh, that was finally, uh, the workers' rights came right into public view. Congress would not touch this on a national level, by the way. The first uh, holiday for Labor Day was September 5th, 1882, and here we were in on May 11th, 1894, when all of those workers who tried to organize and their union reps basically were fired. And so on uh, June 26th, the American Railroad Union, led by a guy called Eugene Debs, called for a boycott of all Pullman Railway cars. And you can imagine what happened. I mean, this is 1894. Not like you could jump in an airplane or an automobile, the most important method of intercontinental or inter, uh, yeah, cross country, intracontinental uh, transportation was the railway. And because of the Pullman strike, all sorts of riots went all over the country. And uh, so here comes why we needed Labor Day. Congress passed an act making Labor Day a legal holiday in the District of Columbia. And then on June the 28th, 1894, President Grover Cleveland signed it into law. Uh, now, Peter McGuire is the co-founder of the American Federation of Labor, the AFL. Uh, Matthew McGuire, uh, the secretary of the Central Labor Union, uh, who also first proposed the holiday. They are credited with being the people who started Labor Day. No one really knows for sure. But it was on September 5th, 1882. How many years ago is that? What, 160, 140 years ago? that the first Labor Day celebration took place. And here we are all these years later celebrating it and recognizing, tipping the cap to everybody who puts in an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. And so do we need any more reason to celebrate than that? I don't think so. We put this information up at thebottomlineshow.com. Tamara's got the link up there. If you want to read all about it, Uh, you certainly can do so. As we continue, I thought it would be interesting to take a look at what kind of progress we've made in the labor world especially as it pertains to those who are part of the quote-unquote the wealthy the rich or the super rich you know there's not that line of uh, demarcation so much now as there was you know back in the day where the rockefellers and the vanderbilts and the rothschilds and you know everybody who uh, had money um they had money and they were the swells and everybody else was kind of commonplace. Now people who are in the lower echelons of the financial world can still earn a really good living and probably have a good, uh, uh, successful uh, time, you know, having a good time in the U S. But just for grins, um, just for kicks and giggles, as a friend of mine used to say, I, I came across a list of the 10 highest paid CEOs in San Diego, California. And I thought since we have a you know very strong following with our KNSN. Uh, crowd in san diego and also those who pick us up on kbrt am 740 i wanted to walk through this list with you and so we'll do so on the other side of this break we'll celebrate labor day by commemorating the 10 highest paid ceos just in san diego and the highest paid ceo makes nearly 77 million dollars every year who is it and what does he do we'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues Welcome back to this Labor Day edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, that history of Labor Day, the holiday, by the way, um, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I really highly encourage you to check it out because I think you'll uh, I think you'll get a kick out of it. Um, it's interesting, and I think uh, well worth noting, that uh, even though this was an event that was organized by organized labor, um, it's one that reminds us of the fact that even though we are land of the free and home of the brave, uh, the working class did not get the opportunity to be as land of the free and home of the brave until the workers of the union spoke up and made it uh, that the laws would be passed. So Labor Day is just a recognition of the fact that organized labor really did have a, a, a good handle at one point on helping the condition of the worker here in the United States. Now, there are those who might argue that the labor union has kind of uh, passed its prime. And uh, I I would toss my hat in that ring. I think sometimes the labor unions can kind of make things worse for public employees and things of that nature. But nonetheless, I I thought we'd wrap up the Labor Day edition of the Bottom Line Show here, this portion of the program, by taking a look at the 10 highest paid CEOs in one of America's major cities, one of our most uh, active cities in terms of listenership. And this is from our friends at the San Diego Union Tribune. Who are the 10 highest paid CEOs in San Diego and what can we aspire to? top of the list Steve Mollenkopf who recently retired as the CEO of Qualcomm now it's interesting because the the, the list goes on uh, Scott Walco who's the uh, uh, the CEO of fate therapeutics which is a clinical stage biotech company that delivers uh, develops immunotherapies for cancer and um, his salary and bonus was only a million dollars last year, but he exercised stock options that paid him an additional 41 million. In the case of uh, uh, Steve Walt- Molikov's compensation, um, he makes a salary of hardly anything. He's currently as a re- uh, on retainer for $150,000 a year. In 2021, which is the last year he worked for the company, he actually retired. In mid-year at the end of their fiscal year, he still made $69,449, uh, $69,449,535 last year. Now, why did he make so much money, especially when you consider that 90% of his compensation came from vesting of restricted stock? Well, the answer is really very simple. He <laughs> generated some big returns for his company. I mean, big returns. How big, you ask? Well, over the past three years, Qualcomm stock has annualized, had a shareholder return of 26%. That's huge. But last year, their annualized return was 22%. That's even huger, I guess, as you might say. Now, what's interesting about this, I mentioned earlier the... uh, uh, the CEO at Fate uh, Biotechnology, earned $42 million, and the majority of that was in uh, vested shareholding. Uh, Steve Mollenkopf, the CEO of Qualcomm, earned about $6 million in salary and another $63.5 million in vested restricted stock. You might wonder why it is these guys don't and gals don't make these huge salaries, but they get a lot of huge stock options. I thought that was interesting because initially as just kind of a casual business major in college who knows a little bit about the market, but not a lot, I thought it was interesting because it seemed like, well, if they're doing it that way, that seems like it's performance-based. We'll give you a base salary, and then we'll give you stock options, and if the stock does well, then you will do well. And obviously, in the case of Mr. Mullencoff, Qualcomm stock increased by 22% over one year, 26% over three, so in spite of COVID, they still improved the value of their balance sheet by one quarter. If you had a dollar invested in Qualcomm stock three years ago, it's now worth $1.25. So that means if you had a million dollars, it's worth $1.2. You get the idea. But I read a little something, interestingly enough, during the Inflation Reduction Act's passing that really got my attention. I mean, it's good business. It's kind of a loophole. And the fact that the White House says, well, we have to do something about this. We've, we've got to stop these loopholes and, and, and keeping the rich from paying their fair share in taxes. But they didn't do anything about what I'm about to describe. Now, if Qualcomm, as a publicly traded company, thinks that Steve Mollenkopf, their CEO, deserves a $70 million a year salary, that's entirely up to them. I mean, I don't understand why he would need that much, but that's I mean, that's that's between them and him. I totally get it. but I want to I, I want to take a look at something here that is it's all in the taxes. and I think it would be of tremendous benefit for us to understand why what we hear the rhetoric in Washington talking about is stuff that we need to understand. I mentioned that uh, Steve Molikoff, CEO of Qualcomm, 69 million and change in compensation in 2021, the last year he worked for the company. Of that, 6 million was salary and 63 million was vested stock options. If all of that had been salary, he would pay full, super high, rich pay your fair share income taxes. But because of a, a tax loophole that's available for the IRS to high earners, the fact that the company could pay him in stock means that now when he exercises the stock option, all he has to do is pay a capital gain on the stock. So instead of a 39% tax bracket that he pays in income tax on the federal level and a 13% personal income tax they face on California, all he has to do is pay the 20% capital gain, which saves him, you can do the math, If he were paying 40% of his income versus 20, basically his tax burden on the $63 million stock option is now $13 million. If it were personal income tax, it would be $26 million. So he saves 13 million, number one. But number two, now the IRS doesn't have that extra 13 million from the super wealthy. So you might ask the question, well, why didn't they tighten up that loophole? In the Inflation Reduction Act. That's an excellent question to ask the members of the House and ask the members of the Senate who enthusiastically signed off on this bill, basically and effectively potentially raising your taxes and my taxes, but not Steve Mollenkopf from uh, the CEO of Qualcomm. We're talking about how we're going to pay for the Inflation Reduction Act that multiply the number of multimillionaires, if not billionaires, who use that loophole every year. Why didn't that loophole get closed? Rhetorical question, I realize, but that's something here on this Labor Day that what we do at the Bottom Line Show is we take a good long look at it. We've got a link for this uh, list from San Diego Union Tribune, by the way, up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue here on this Labor Day, we know a lot of people are feeling like the United States of America are kind of fractured. Are we on the brink of disaster or is there a way that we can bring our nation back together as one nation under God, indivisible and with liberty and justice for all. Uh, Peter Montoya is the author of a brand new book that will help us see the wisdom of bringing our nation back together. The book is called The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Peter Montoya joins me next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this Labor Day edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, That history of Labor Day, the holiday, by the way, um, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I really highly encourage you to check it out because I think you'll uh, I think you'll get a kick out of it. Um, it's interesting, and I think uh, well worth noting, that uh, even though this was an event that was organized by organized labor, um, it's one that reminds us of the fact that even though we are land of the free and home of the brave, uh, the working class did not get the opportunity to be as land of the free and home of the brave until the workers of the union spoke up and made it uh, that the laws would be passed. So Labor Day is just a recognition of the fact that organized labor really did have a, a, a good handle at one point on helping the condition of the worker here in the United States. Now, there are those who might argue that the labor union has kind of uh, passed its prime. And uh, I, I would toss my hat in that ring. I think sometimes the labor unions can kind of make things worse for public employees and things of that nature. But nonetheless, I, I thought we'd wrap up the Labor Day edition of the Bottom Line Show here, this portion of the program. By taking a look at the 10 highest-paid CEOs in one of America's major cities, one of our most uh, active cities in terms of listenership, and this is from our friends at the San Diego Union Tribune, who are the 10 highest-paid CEOs in San Diego and what can we aspire to? Top of the list, Steve Mollenkopf, who recently retired as the CEO of Qualcomm. Now, it's interesting because uh, the, the, the list goes on. Uh, Scott Walco, who's the... Uh, Uh, the CEO of Fate Therapeutics, which is a clinical stage biotech company that delivers, uh, develops immunotherapies for cancer. Um, His salary and bonus was only a million dollars last year, but he exercised stock options that paid him an additional 41 million. In the case of uh, uh, Steve Mollinkoff's compensation, um, he makes a salary of, hardly anything. He's currently uh, on retainer for $150,000 a year. In 2021, which is the last year he worked for the company, he actually retired in mid-year at the end of their fiscal year. He still made uh, $69,449,535 last year. Now, why did he make so much money, especially when you consider that 90% of his compensation came from vesting of restricted stock? Well, the answer is really very simple. He generated some big returns for his company. I mean, big returns. How big, you ask? Well, over the past three years, Qualcomm's stock has annualized, had a shareholder return of 26% that's huge. But last year, their annualized return was 22%. That's even huger, I guess, as you might say. Now, what's interesting about this, I mentioned earlier, the, uh, uh, the CEO at Fate uh, Biotechnology earned $42 million, and the majority of that was in uh, vested shareholding. Uh, Steve Mollenkopf, the CEO of Qualcomm, earned about $6 million in salary and another $63.5 million in vested restricted stock. You might wonder why it is these guys don't, and gals, don't make these huge salaries, but they get a lot of huge stock options. I thought that was interesting because initially, as just kind of a casual business major in college who knows a little bit about the market, but not a lot, I thought it was interesting because it seemed like, well, if they're doing it that way, that seems like it's performance-based. We'll give you a base salary, and then we'll give you stock options. And if the stock does well, then you will do well. And obviously, in the case of Mr. Mullencoff, Qualcomm stock increased by 22% over one year, 26% over three. So in spite of COVID, they still improved the value of their balance sheet by one quarter. If you had a dollar invested in Qualcomm stock three years ago, it's now worth $1.25. So that means if you had a million dollars, it's worth $1.2. You get the idea. But I read a little something, interestingly enough, during the Inflation Reduction Act passing that really got my attention. I mean, it's good business. It's kind of a loophole. And the fact that the White House says, well, we have to do something about this. We've, we've got to stop these loopholes and, and, and keeping the rich from paying their fair share in taxes. But they didn't do anything about what I'm about to describe. Now, if Qualcomm, as a publicly traded company, thinks that Steve Mollenkopf, their CEO, deserves a $70 million a year salary, that's entirely up to them. I mean, I don't understand why he would need that much, but that's I mean, that's, that's between them and him. I totally get it. but I want to I, I want to take a look at something here that is it's all in the taxes. and I think it would be of tremendous benefit for us to understand why what we hear the rhetoric in Washington talking about is stuff that we need to understand. I mentioned that uh, Steve Molenkoff, CEO of Qualcomm, 69 million and change in compensation in 2021, the last year he worked for the company. Of that, 6 million was salary and 63 million was vested stock options. If all of that had been salary, he would pay full, super high, rich pay your fair share income taxes. But because of a, a tax loophole that's available for the IRS to high earners, the fact that the company could pay him in stock means that now when he exercises the stock option, all he has to do is pay a capital gain on the stock. So instead of a 39% tax bracket that he pays in income tax on the federal level and a 13% personal income tax they face on California, all he has to do is pay the 20% capital gain, which saves him. You can do the math. If he were paying 40% of his income versus 20, basically his tax burden on the $63 million stock option is now $13 million. If it were personal income tax, it would be $26 million. So he saves $13 million, number one. But number two, now the IRS doesn't have that extra $13 million from the super wealthy. So you might ask the question, well, why didn't they tighten up that loophole? in the Inflation Reduction Act? That's an excellent question to ask the members of the House and ask the members of the Senate who enthusiastically signed off on this bill, basically and effectively potentially raising your taxes and my taxes, but not Steve Mollenkopf from C- uh, the CEO of Qualcomm. We're talking about how we're going to pay for the Inflation Reduction Act that multiply the number of multimillionaires, if not billionaires, who use that loophole every year. Why didn't that loophole get closed? Rhetorical question, I realize, but that's something here on this Labor Day that what we do at the Bottom Line Show is we take a good long look at it. We've got a link for this uh, list from San Diego Union Tribune, by the way, up at thebottomlineshow.com. As we continue here on this Labor Day, we know a lot of people are feeling like the United States of America are kind of fractured Are we on the brink of disaster, or is there a way that we can bring our nation back together as one nation under God, indivisible, and with liberty and justice for all? Uh, Peter Montoya is the author of a brand new book that will help us see the wisdom of bringing our nation back together. The book is called The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Peter Montoya joins me next as The Bottom Line continues. Does it feel like America is divided to the point where we are past the point of no return? That's a question that a lot of people have been asking of late, especially in light of the fact that the previous presidential administration was rather divisive, at least in terms of some people, and now the current presidential administration may be even more divisive than the last one. Is it possible for us to avoid world war, or excuse me, not world war, but at least a civil war, and another one here in the United States? Well, author Peter Montoya has written a fascinating new book that's going to help us not only address the problems as we see them, but also find some solutions for them as well. The book is called The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Peter Montoya, welcome to The Bottom
2: Line Show. Roger, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Well, we are thrilled to have you because I appreciate your approach to say, hey, look, there was a you know a time in your life where you believed the American dream, you were ambitious, you were a real go-getter. And then something happened to you right around 2012 that kind of helped kind of change the trajectory of where you were going and where you are headed right now. Talk about that moment.
2: Yeah, I, I got myself really, really caught up um, into the, you know, the civil war and the political divide such that uh, I really attacked my father-in-law. My father-in-law sent out an email, basically promoting his point of view. And then I responded with the most snarky, nasty, vile email. And in the moment when I pushed send, I really thought it was appropriate. I I really thought it was okay for me to reply that way. And this is to a man who I absolutely adore and absolutely respect. And then two days later, I kind of was reflecting on uh, on the email. I went back and read it, and it was far worse than I had thought it was. Oh no! I then called him up. <laughs> yeah, that was right. Uh, I called him up. He barely took my phone call. He was furious with me, and rightfully so. And then I begged him to have dinner with me, and I had to I went to dinner and had to completely apologize for my offensive behavior. So my question was: which started my this business? question is, why would I, why, I think of myself as being a good-natured, as you know, a kind person behave in such a vile sort of way to someone who I love and care about so
3: much?
0: Wow. And at that point, all of a sudden, you begin to realize something a lot of Americans have begun to realize is that we talk about religious liberty here in the United States of America, but uh, you, your first chapter in the book, The Second Civil War, helps us understand why we are facing the, some of the issues that we are facing right now, politics really has become a religion for a lot of people, and in some cases, yes. the new national religion in America.
2: Yes, v- very well said. So uh, when I say politics is religion, be very careful. We're not talking about a supernatural relationship with, with your God and Savior. What we're talking about is religion means a way of life. So for some people, surfing is their way of life, and for other people, the outdoors. And for many people today, politics has replaced religion, which means that we know, and this has actually been well-dedicated, that church attendance is down over 20% uh, since the beginning of the pandemic and hasn't returned even though. uh, And people are spending more time watching the news, and the news has become a form of religion The newscasters are the media personalities, are the pastors kind of helping interpret what's happening. And then we have people who are on on our side, these kind of uh, warriors fighting on our side against the bad people on their side. And so we get caught up in this daily drama of this religious war, political war that's unfolding before us. And it is, for many of us, become like a religion.
0: The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation, is the brand-new book from Peter Montoya, who's my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. I love the way you lay this out, Peter, because you help us to take a look, first and foremost, uh, you know, what as they say, you know, when you point the finger at somebody else, you've got three more fingers pointing back at yourself. So if we're going to start uh, preventing civil war in the nation, the first place we need to look is not another political party, another religious group. It really is ourselves. And you have a whole chapter you dedicate to the tribalism that has become so complicated commonplace the different silos where people live and it, even if the 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 tribe itself might be based on a biblical worldview or a constitutional worldview Tribalism can be very dangerous in the sense that we stop listening to other people. We don't really have any tolerance for other people in the same way that you attacked your father-in-law that night in 2012 Mm -hmm. and then went, wait a minute, this is my wife's dad. I mean, I love this man. I mean, just because we're disagreeing Mm -hmm. about politics doesn't mean we can't have a conversation. Talk about how we escape the tribalism that would prevent us from bringing unity into this nation.
2: So we are uh, inherently tribalistic creatures. And we you, we can see how we exercise our tribalism through our politics, for, for example, and also even through sports. So we go we go to the well, you know, Super Bowl just this last weekend. We rooted for one team or we against another team. And we are so incredibly tribalistic. And I think one of the best examples of that, and, and this really dates me, is the movie Dances with Wolves. Roger, are you old enough to remember when Dance with the Wolves came out? Did you, did you see
0: it in the theater? I'm old enough to not only remember seeing it in the theater, but fun story, my younger daughter Kaylee is married to a guy whose name is Kevin, Kevin Zapanta. His parents immigrated from the Philippines, and they were so taken with Dances with Wolves, they named their son Kevin. I mean, that, that's so, it, it's kind of ingrained in the family history here. So please continue with the story. I can't wait to hear this.
2: So for those of you who haven't seen the movie, who aren't as as dated as as I am, Kevin Costner plays a lieutenant in the Union Army. And he definitely either incredibly courageous or stupid and wins the right to go wherever he wants. He decides to go to the western frontier uh, where they have outposts who are really fighting against or defending against the Native Americans. And he shows up there as an outsider, and the Native Americans are very, very hostile to him And then before you know it, they break bread. They share a little bit of coffee. And then he starts to learn a little bit about their language. And then he starts to dress like them. And he starts speaking their language. And then maybe within a series of months, he's living with them. Then he marries one of them. And then he comes to take the position and the belief system of that uh, native tribe. So in a period of months or years, he completely transforms himself to, to affiliate with that tribe. That is what we would do. So if I dropped you, Roger, into an isolated tribe of, you what know, let's say, 10,000 people out in the middle of Brazil somewhere, and they spoke a different language, had different religion, different politics, if I dropped you in there, it would take a period of probably, if they, well, first of all, uh, if they didn't kill you, which is right. that's probably what they would do, mm-hmm. but if they didn't kill you. They let you live. Uh, it would take days before you were dressing like them, weeks before you're, you're speaking like them, a period of months before you had their beliefs, and probably within two years, you would fully assimilate to them. And we do the same thing with our political parties. And so most people today only have Democratic friends or only have conservative friends or Republican yeah. friends, and they don't mix, 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 anymore. And so we can almost, you know, I can ask you one question about gun rights, for example, and I can pretty much tell you the whole belief set that you probably uh, identify with. That's how tribalistic we've become. Uh, 30 years ago, there were actually conservative Democrats uh, and there were actually liberal Republicans. And now they are completely cleaved into two different belief sets, and it's very, very dangerous.
0: You know, and what's dangerous, Peter Montoya, I appreciate you writing about this in your book, The Second Civil War, The Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation, for bringing this up, because oftentimes... We, on one side of the aisle, say more conservative, like folks like me, will look at folks on the other side of the aisle and we fall into the category, it's so hard not to, of, well, we're right and they're wrong because we like our values mm-hmm. and, they, and we don't like theirs. And as we've moved away from God being the standard, the Bible being, you know, the, the, the foundation of our nation, for right, right or wrong, I mean, we've, we've messed the Bible up <laughs> badly in the United States, but still, if that is the standard, we have something to come back to that's good and right and true and pure. Now that it's so driven by man-made, man-centered type of uh, tenets, if you will, uh, you write about this, how the media and the personalities have become uh, what you call fear And I, I heard this term when Jeff Zucker was recently bounced from CNN. Someone referred to him as the inventor of panic porn. <laughs> And I'd never heard that before, but I mean, panic porn and then it's country cousin doom scrolling have kind of become Mm -hmm. part and parcel with how people get their information, either on the far left progressive side or on the more conservative side. If our nation is going to come together, take the last 60 seconds of our opening segment here, if you will, and talk about identifying the problem, but then also ways we could start pushing back against the fear mongering that's going on right now.
2: So 30 years ago, news was news and drama was drama. We had our three major ABC, NBC, CBS delivering news, and the news was relatively boring. It was delivered in a dry, somber way, and their major uh, monikers were uh, trustworthy uh, and first, and then we had our dramas. And dramas of the day were Dynasty and Dallas. (laughs) And we watched our dramas at night, and then we watched our news, and they were separate. And now what's happened is we've had a confluence of both news and drama, they're all one in the same. So yep. if you're watching cable news, you're seeing an infusion of something that's maybe factual based, but most likely has been spun into a drama that's kept you, keeps you riveted over and over and over again. Uh, social media and the news media has become an outrage-driven advertising machine.
0: So what are the solutions? That's what we're going to talk about on the other side of this break, because the idea here from Peter Montoya's book is there is a second civil war brewing in the United States, but is there a way that we can heal our fractured nation? Hence the title, The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of my conversation with author Peter Montoya in just a moment as the bottom line continues.
3: Right after you get into an accident, you need to call Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to begin the process of healing. Too many people make the wrong choice and try to handle their case on their own. Don't be gullible. Your insurance company does not have your best interests in mind. Their job is to save money, not help you recover. Stephanie's priority is you. She will help you recover wholly, mind, body, and spirit, as well as get you the settlement you deserve. Begin your recovery by contacting Stephanie first and follow her instructions to streamline your healing process. Stephanie has over 25 years of experience and knows how to get you healed and restored. Although your friends and family may have good intentions, they are not personal injury attorneys, and therefore they do not know the best way to help you. Stephanie Cover does, and she will help you put the pieces back together financially, physically, and spiritually. You need to write down her number now, 877-214-4935. Or go to kbrightradio.com slash Law. Your healing begins with Cover Law. My thanks
0: again to Peter Montoya, the author of the book, The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation. We have a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. I encourage you to check it out. Um, this is a guidebook, if you will, for every one of us who look at the growing national divide and we ask the question, what can we do to help? Now, obviously, the, we, there's a lot of misinformation that's being spread in the culture right now, and one of the biggest pieces of misinformation is the fact that many of us who understand the truth are being labeled as people who are spreading misinformation. So you kind of have to have a, uh, a a big old not just a grain of salt, but a big old bag of salt. Uh, a friend of mine, friend of mine is now with the Lord. Used to say, "I need a five pound bag with this one. This is this is a big one." But Because technology is so much more easy to get, because of the fact that misinformation, what was the old expression, good news travels fast, bad news travels faster. Well, uh, what is it, or a lie is halfway around the world before truth gets out of bed. I mean, those are all things that we have to deal with. But, you know, it's interesting because the 20th century wars were country against country, nation against nation, institution against institution, what we see now is accessible power of technology and unethical media and basically it's up to us to say what are we going to do to stand in the gap to stop this, you know, this civil war. Uh, Peter Montoya's book, The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation will play a huge role in helping to mend that problem. We've got a link for the book in his website up at thebottomlineshow.com. That's T-H-E, bottomlineshow.com and I highly recommend that you check it out For those who are listening on our sister station, KCBC, um, enjoy the rest of your Labor Day holiday. And thank you for listening to the Bottom Line Show as long as you have. God bless you from all of us here at the uh, staff and appreciate the fact you're tuning in uh, each and every day. We've got... uh Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus uh, coming up around the corner for you. And don't forget Bottom Line Show Extra tonight at 7 and the Bottom Line Rewind tomorrow uh, coming your way at uh, 1030 in the morning. For those who remain on the network, a proposition for you, if you will, um, as we continue today's edition of the Bottom Line here on Labor Day, actually the 140th anniversary of the first Labor Day as it happened in the United States. And that's the question, what is it that makes a movement a movement. What is what kind of kickstarts the idea that uh, you know a movement like the labor movement can actually happen in the first place? Uh, Dr. Damon Friedman has a book on this topic called Igniting Movements, How Critical Factors and Special Ops Empower World Changers. We have a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Friedman joins me to discuss this coming up next as the bottom line continues. Special segment today here on The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, joined for this segment by a man who is uh, part of a very, very interesting mission group. Damon Friedman is the founder of SOF Missions. We've got a link for their website, SOFmissions.com, up at TheBottomLineShow.com. This is an organization that is dedicated to helping uh, tackle one of the biggest problems facing the culture right now as it pertains to uh, veterans who are really wrestling with things like PTSD and potentially suicide as well. Damon Friedman, welcome to The Bottom Line Show today.
4: Hey, Roger, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited. Uh, it's, it's, it's a good thing to take a moment and reflect on our veterans and our warriors who have given so much for our, our great nation. Amen. And just, and just addressing these issues, because, um, you know what, they've done everything that they possibly could. Mm-hmm. And uh, we as Americans should provide all the support that they need. Make sure that they're good to go.
0: Now, this is something for, from your standpoint that's very personal, too. Talk about the the, the service that you have uh, given for our country here and the, the time you spent in the military.
4: Yeah, so I've served, I'm um, active duty still. I'm in special operations. It's been approximately 18 years
5: of mm-hmm. service. Mm-hmm.
4: And I've got multiple deployments to Afghanistan and Iraq and other places in the world that I can't talk about. Mm-hmm. And, um, And just been dealing with a lot of the scars of war, uh, probably around 10 years into uh, my service, after being involved in the invasion in 2003, and just some uh, high-end, high-vis battles, particularly in the Korongal Valley, dubbed the Valley of Death. um, I just went through a lot of these challenges, dealing with post-traumatic stress, coming back, a little, You just bust it up. I've had multiple concussions, uh, TBI, that's traumatic brain injury, mm-hmm. multiple, and um, dealing with depression, dealing with um, all these, these issues, flashbacks, nightmares, um, anxiety, those kinds of things. And that's, you know, every warrior out there that deploys processes combat differently. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and obvious, you know, depending on how close you are to the fight, some of the warriors, some of our military – they stay on the base, the fire base, and then some of them go outside, the infantry, those even supporting convoys, and then those even who who, who engage in direct uh, combat, you know, exchanging rounds, troops in contact, and then some of them even get even worse, where it's a heavy firefight, maybe an ambush, and you, you get your, you know, you there's an IED, and it blows up the first vehicle, and your buddy's, you know, dead, and, mm. you know, those kinds of things, and so... I've processed a lot of this, and it was very difficult to be able to reconcile a lot of the war, a lot of the Mm -hmm. combat, a Mm -hmm. lot of these, you know, the the blood and the sweat and the tears. And so I am intimately familiar, and I think in 2010 was my culminating point when I was at my lowest point, and I was starting to question, you know, what's my purpose? What's You know what? You know, what's what's the point in existing and it was a dark dark time and um, and and that was the impetus of Uh, why we're doing what it is that we're doing today.
0: Okay, sofmissions.com is the website. Damon Friedman, the founder of SOF Missions, is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. And Damon, first of all, thank you so much for your service. As you were describing what you've done and the many different things you've done that you've shared with us, but also things that you can't share with us because they are so special (laughs) in nature. I, I really appreciate you not only sticking your neck out and literally putting your life on the line for our country, but now... In a season where I I would suspect that the reason why a lot of people who come back from military service with PTSD don't necessarily seek or get the help is because they're either an inability to or is it a lack of willingness to be able to say there's an issue here and I have to deal with it. I think if you had military training and you're a soldier, you're a warrior, and you know how to handle these things, when you come across something that you can't handle, like the stress or how you tried to process the war, your first inclination wouldn't be, I've got to ask somebody for help. Is that accurate?
4: You know, uh, yeah, absolutely. And another thing is is that most of us didn't realize that we would need help. Mm, I think mm-hmm. that well, one of the biggest challenges that we had beforehand is that I wasn't prepared to, you know, I wasn't aware. Hey, when I go out, look, I'm in special operations. I was uh, five and a half years, I was in the Marine Corps, last unit. I was a force recon Marine. And then I crossed over into special tactics, Air Force Elite, Air Force Special Warfare, and I had no idea what does it feel like. What is the experience when you kill somebody? Mm-hmm. You know that that's what war is, right? You so you go out, you kill you kill a bad guy who's trying to kill you, and you're trying to defend your country. You're trying to free those that are oppressed. Man, I'm going to tell you right now that when it happens, all of a sudden your whole world turns upside. down down. And I wasn't ready for it. So I didn't have the proper training. I had the proper training to kill bad guys. Mm -hmm. I jumped out of airplanes at 25,000 feet on oxygen. Wow! I was a combat diver. You know, I'm a demolition expert. I'm an FAA air traffic controller. I'm qualified on every weapon known to man. I am qualified on every vehicle. I jump out of a C-130 at like 1,500 feet with a little parachute. I push out a little, little motorcycle and I'm following it. It's got a, a parachute on it. I'm following it out to a landing zone. It lands on there. I cut the parachute, My and I release my parachute. I jump on my little motorcycle, and I'm assessing an airfield in an austere
0: environment. Oh, my, and hostile my, to it. my that's goodness. What,
4: that's what I do. Yeah, that's what I do. And so I was trained properly to do that. Mm-hmm. I was trained properly to close with, identify the enemy, and take the enemy out. But I wasn't properly trained. To process what does it feel like? What is it, you know, what am I, what do I need to do when I kill a bad guy? Mm-hmm. And so that's the issue that I ran into, man. And that's the issue that I, even today, I still have nightmares. Okay. Even today, I still have flashbacks. Even today, I have anxiety. But the difference between before and now is I've armed myself with the knowledge, I've sought counseling. Mm-hmm. I've sought experts. There's issues that, go, that come along with traumatic brain injury. I've dropped 500-pound bombs within 95 meters of friendly position. Talk about a concussion, a 2,000-pound bomb, 300-plus meters away, blown up, seven bad guys with RPGs trying to kill you. And, 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 and these are the issues. So when you come home, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You don't know how to feel. Nobody can connect and understand where you're coming from. And you don't know where to go. And honestly, you're going to talk to a warrior and you expect that warrior to say, I need help. Right. Come right. on, man. That's yeah. not true. It's not yeah. going to happen. It and so. These are just a lot of the issues, you know,
0: mm-hmm. that our guys are dealing with. Boy, the, uh, thank you, Damon Friedman, for putting that in perspective for us. Because oftentimes the only example that we have, like for my, no one in my family's been in the military. The only frame of reference I have is either you telling me your story or what I see in the films. Mm-hmm. You know, what I see in television. You know, and that mm-hmm. it's so glamorized and it's so sanitized because there's soundproof guys and there's uh, you know uh, munitions experts who are in the background to make it look like it's really happening. I could, none of mm-hmm. us none of us listening who haven't been in the service could even fathom what you just described, Damon, and yet you 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 you're dealing with that and then trying to process. So in many ways, you're looking for help for these warriors who are battling with PTSD and those who are trying to provide the help. In many cases, I'd imagine, really don't have any idea of what they're trying to help these people with. Is that's that, right. Is that fair? And you, know,
4: yeah, yeah, that's a fair statement, and I, and, and it can't be more accurate than that. You know, at the end of the day. We have over 2.7 million men and women have deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq. Now, I mentioned earlier on that every warrior that deploys is going to process combat differently. Every one of us, you don't have to be in special operations like I am mm-hmm. in order to deal with post-traumatic stress or deal with these issues or, any other, or anything else. Every person is unique and different. God makes us all unique and different, and we all have our strengths and weaknesses And we're a little bit more resilient, some, and not so resilient as others. But I will say this, is that after 2.7 million men and women who have deployed to Afghanistan and Iraq, we're now just starting to see the implications of combat. And these guys and these gals who have done the nation's bidding, they're hurting. And there's too many of them. You know, the VA is doing what they can. Um, You know, uh, it's not as timely in in most of these um, uh, VA hospitals. And so there's – and I know that the government's trying to do everything they they can, and I I respect that. They make it – they're they're providing all the change, policies, and support and leadership as possible. But that's why we're doing what it is that we're doing. And I think that every American that understands and appreciates their freedom because a veteran has gone out there and done the nation's bidding for our own freedom to do what it is that you want to do – do what you dream of doing, having your own business, being a barber, being mm-hmm. a doctor, being a lawyer, being a teacher, being, you know, a, a radio show host. Mm-hmm. It's because these warriors are protecting our right. freedoms right. to do what it is that we're doing. And I think that we really need to uh, collaborate and understand that we need to provide the support that these guys and gals really need, and thus the birth of SOS Missions
2: which is our organization.
0: Well, we're going to take a quick break and come back and continue this conversation with Damon Friedman, who is the founder of SOF Missions. SOFmissions.com is the website. And also talk about their special Veterans Day presentation, honoring all who served as a special simulcast. We've got a link for that information up at the thebottomlineshow.com. More of my fascinating conversation with Damon Friedman from SOF Missions in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Let Wilson Financial Services help you identify proprietary financial strategies for your wealth that work for your
1: life. Let's revisit our one-year CD. Had a client who had $500,000 of retained earnings in his corporation for the last three years. I said, if you'd have put that into this account three years ago, you'd have seventy-five dollars to $100,000 of interest versus what you have now, which is a nice round number. Had a client sell his house, had $450,000 in the bank. I told him, you're really not likely to buy a house in the next 12 months. You want to leave this in the bank earning nothing? Or would you like to earn some interest on it over the next 12 months? So he said, How much? I said, Well, how about between 20 and 30,000? He says, Zero versus 20 or 30,000. Yeah, he says, I like the 20 or 30,000. Sounds better. Aren't you tired of earning nothing with all the money you have in the bank? Call 800 696 9970.
0: 800 696 9970. Or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Damon Friedman is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the founder of SOF, as in Frank Missions, SOFmissions.com is the website, and uh, we've got a link up there for the site, and also uh, information about this special Veterans Day simulcast that's coming up. Damon, you've done a couple of multimedia things. I know you had one for 9-11, and now you've got this new one for Veterans Day. Talk about the Honoring All Who Served simulcast. Why is it so important for churches, especially, to take a look at something like this, not just from a purely patriotic standpoint, but also saying, uh, from a therapeutic standpoint, saying, look, there are millions of people who have served, and they are hurting, and they need our help.
2: Yeah, so
4: the reason why we did this film, Surrender Only to One, uh, is is because we wanted to depict the issues and the challenges that our veterans are dealing with, but, and, and you know, each and every one of them, they're signing on the bottom line, they're taking the oath against all enemies, foreign and domestic, right, for the United States, they're going out, they're training they're going out to war, they're conducting the nation's bidding, they're fighting the enemy, they're dealing with the scars of war, they're coming home, they're dealing with you know, uh, uh, their families, everyday norms, and they're self-destructing. And, and Americans in our Western culture are trying to figure out, what's wrong with these guys or gals? What's going on here? Why is that person so isolated? Why does that person feel insignificant? Why is that person addicted to drugs or alcohol? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why is that person so abusive? What is this black rage thing going on? I don't understand it. This this is crazy. And we depict those. We we directly uh, show these challenges that our warriors are dealing with. But here's the uniqueness of this film. is that each and every warrior finds hope. Each and every warrior. So, look. We've got a a veteran concentration in California, Texas, Florida, and all sorts of places in between. And churches, nonprofits, organizations, you know, the VFW, the VA, American Legion, you know, or, or, or small groups across the nation. They're trying to figure out how to reach out to these warriors. So what we did was we gathered experts from Hollywood. This is a Hollywood quality film. We've won six national an International Film Festival Award. Mm. This is legit. And when we just showed this, we did a pre-release before this last 9-11. 25,000 people saw it live in Orange County. Excellent. We showed it, our national, our national premiere, Justice 9-11. Over 100,000 people saw it, and we're, we're really excited. And so it was such a smashing success. Over 100 establishments across the country showed this film, not to include just in the Tampa area where we did the national premiere where we're headquartered, Tampa, Florida. But we're, we're now doing, again, a special with the film on Veterans Day week. Any church, any nonprofit, any org, any small group can host a simulcast absolutely for free, and this is what's so crazy. We've got amazing interviews that come along with it. Bobby Bowden, mm-hmm. Florida State, two-time national champion, General McChrystal, commander of all U.S. forces and uh, famous for his work in uh, JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command, and Luke Zamperini, mm. executive producer and son of Louis Zamparini of Unbroken, we're doing Q&As, we're doing um, interviews, and we're highlighting these veteran issues and what we could do to help them and how powerful and moving and extraordinary this film is. It's changing the lives of veterans all across the nation and the film is not just for veterans but it's for those that support veterans Mm -hmm. it's the family members it's the father the mother the sisters the brother the sons the daughters hey listen 2.7 million men and women have deployed to Afghanistan Iraq millions of people beyond 2 million I would say 50 million 100 million I would say a third of this country has been affected directly through this war on terror since Mm 9-11 that's what this film is about bringing hope to those that don't have any.
0: Surrender Only to One is the name of the film. Uh, SOFmissions.com is where you find a trailer for that. I'm Roger Marsh talking with Damon Friedman, who is the founder of SOFmissions, SOFmissions.com. And this Honoring All Who Served simulcast, what a tremendous opportunity, Damon, for uh, churches who oftentimes, you know, a lot of churches are very patriotic. Veterans Day will come and go. They'll, you know, in congregations that weekend, American flag's present. If you serve, please stand. We'll applaud. You know, that's maybe sing a patriotic hymn. And that's as far as it goes. But what you're describing here, I mean, if you've got 2.7 people who deployed and so they're, therefore are dealing with this issue, multiply that by a factor of at least 10 just for immediate family. And then, you know, the larger numbers you were talking about beyond that for people that they work with or go in church with. This is an opportunity I think that pastors would really relish is to be able to host this. Now, when you're talking about the simulcast, is it something that's going to show in theaters that churches can sponsor or is it going to come right to churches they can pick up the simulcast that way?
4: It's going straight to churches, okay. it's going straight to uh, organizations, nonprofits, houses, wherever you want it. It's going, and it's absolutely 100% for free. One thing that I do want to share is this is, um, before our time runs out, is, is that many Americans don't know that there is an epidemic. Over 20 veterans take their lives every single day. Mm. And that is, that is a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. It is, and, and it is an absolute shame that the average American doesn't know this. And so that's a part of what we're doing. We're trying to present this issue, create awareness of this issue. And so we want churches, and remember, just because the Warriors don't even come to the simulcast, it would arm the people of the church, arm the people of the org, arm the people of the nonprofit to know what these issues are and then be able to bring this message of hope to other people. We've got not only the film, but what accompanies it is an eight-session, eight-week session 8 week Discussion guide talking about these issues is thematic. Uh, I have my doctorate in, inter, in intercultural uh, studies. A bunch of us in a, a PhDs have developed these discussion guides these, for groups. Uh, eight weeks they can choose whatever it is, the, the topic, but it's thematic. Hey, what do we want to talk about in our small group? What's going on right now in our church or in our nonprofit, in our org? So there's a lot of tools. So that's what one of the things that we really love. We don't just create awareness like the film, but we also provide a solution. And mm-hmm. what do we do? We provide national groups. We provide educational materials. We've got over 50 groups across the nation. They're providing support for our warriors. Go to Sofmissions.com. Check it out. Find a group near you or start one. We've got a year and a half's worth of material uh, from New Testament studies, to topical to thematic through the study. And it's all legit, it's all research based, and it's all for people, our warriors to spiritually grow. But here's the deal. We're the only organization that we know that provides intensive holistic care. Mm-hmm. So for those in dire need, they're about to press the trigger. They're about to you know, and, and I don't I don't want to be so raw, but man, remember over twenty veterans take their lives every single day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you got a guy that's suicidal or even a woman who's been in combat the suicidal, they're the ones in dire need. Have them reach out to com. Check out the Surrender Project, and it's psychological, physical, and spiritual. Top healthcare professionals, the best of the absolute best, we're going to be able to provide that care, and it's holistic. And, it, and, and, it's, and, and we're here to love on our warriors. We're here to provide hope for our warriors, and we're about holistic healing, psychological physical and spiritual.
0: Boy, Damon Friedman, you are an inspiration, and I really appreciate what you're doing with SOF Missions. And by the way, if you're looking for that website, remember it's SOF, F as in faith, by the way, uh, missions.com, this Surrender Only to One project that's available free to churches. If you want to stream this movie, it's free the week of Veterans Day. Now, from what I looked at the calendar, you want to contact the organization to find out specifically what's the time frame where you can show this film, and then use this Men's Ministries, uh, Pastoral Ministries, Grief Ministries. Uh, This is a great Kickstarter to help somebody in your area because statistically there's an excellent chance that someone in your congregation or a family in your congregation or more are being impacted by post-traumatic stress disorder as it impacts military families. Damon Friedman, you're like I mentioned, you're a blessing and I love your enthusiasm and the fact that you have taken a situation that would have knocked a lot of people on their wallets and actually turned it into an expression of your faith in Christ and I'm, I'm grateful for your passion. Thanks so much for joining with me today here on The Bottom Line.
4: Thanks a lot, brother. May God bless you, and anybody who's out there who's listening on this show, remember, no matter how bad it is, God is in the business of changing and transforming lives. Godspeed. Thank you, brother.
0: Well, I think we might actually start a movement— by talking about what ignites movements. My thanks again to Dr. Damon Friedman for this conversation today. The book is called Igniting Movements, How Critical Factors and Special Ops Empower World Changers. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and I highly recommend that you check it out. Uh, let's take a quick break and as we continue some final thoughts about Labor Day and the movement that actually started uh, the what is now the celebration of the Labor Day holiday. Here we are 140 years to the day after the first Labor Day uprising, if you will. Why was that movement necessary? And what can we in the body of Christ learn from people uniting together to stand up to what is considered to be an injustice in the culture? Uh, we'll have more of that conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. My thanks again to Dr. Damon Friedman, the author of the book called Igniting Movements. Uh, today here on The Bottom Line, we've been talking about uh, how critical factors and special ops empower world changers. We've got a link for his book, Igniting Movements, up at the thebottomlineshow.com and an appropriate conversation to have, especially on the, uh, on the anniversary of what is now recognized as Labor Day. This is the 140th anniversary of the celebration of the first Labor Day, back to September the 5th, it was a Monday, 1882. And we were just at the height of the Industrial Revolution. At the time, the average American worker was working 12-hour days and seven-day work weeks just to make a basic living. Um, States had a few laws, but if someone came in as an immigrant, they weren't given the same treatment. As a matter of fact, a lot of families sent their kids to work because the farms were kind of, we were moving, you know, away from the agricultural side of life into the more manufactured side. And, you know, if you were really poor, if you were a recent immigrant, if, you know, didn't matter how safe or unsafe the working conditions were, we need someone to do the job. And if you won't do it, somebody else will. That was really the attitude that a lot of the, uh, the shop owners and shop foremen had in these mills and factories and and mines. Did anyone care about how the quality of air when you were in a coal mine in West Virginia? No one cared. What about work breaks? Work 12 hours and if you can't stand up, somebody else will take your place. When you get right down to it, it's kind of the same mentality, if I may, that was used by slave owners back in the day where people were treated as chattel. They were just treated as property. They did not have any sanctity of human life. There was no dignity, respect whatsoever. And we'll use these kids because, well, they're not going to learn to read and write anyway, and it didn't really matter. There were a number of violent uprisings that happened in the U.S. to rally against these horrible conditions. Basically, the idea was just to get the employers to be compelled to pay livable wages, to create, you know, more working... uh, a better workplace environment. And it took a decade of different rallies. I mean, the Haymaker Riot of 1886, one of the most notable ones there in Chicago, a number of workers were killed, but a number of police officers were also killed as well. It was September 5th, 1882, that 10,000 workers uh, took unpaid time off uh, in New York City and they marched from City Hall to Union Square and thus became the first Labor Day Parade in history. You know, it's interesting when you watch parades these days, it's it's the Macy's Thanksgiving parade or whatever, and hey, look at us, we're having fun, or there's a marching band, it's all exciting. This parade on September 5th, 1882 was saying, hey, look, we are willing to forego a day's wage, to bring attention to the fact, to legislators, Congress people, et cetera, that things aren't right here. And it took 12 years before the federal government took notice, and then in June of 1894, Then President Grover Cleveland signed a measure saying we're going to recognize this day as a holiday, federal holiday, but to do so to recognize the work of organized labor in making the work week shorter, number of hours shorter, the working conditions better, more sanitary, more civil, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a time that had really come. Now, people might ask the question, well, what about today? It seems like sometimes the labor union is the problem and not the solution. And I wholeheartedly agree, we saw this in the 80s and 90s when car manufacturers were moving their uh, production overseas because, you know, United Autos Workers Union and whatever were asking massive amounts of money for people on the assembly line when they could get the work done cheaper overseas. Um, there, there's definitely a give and take, but where do we in the body of Christ land in this? Well, first and foremost, whether you're part of a union or not, everyone deserves the opportunity to earn a meaningful living. It doesn't mean you're going to get the job that you want. It has to fit with society. But also, once workers are hired, the wage should be fair and competitive. Uh, the work environment should be decent and ethical. I shudder to think of the number of Christian employers who used to handle uh, some of the things that were being rioted against and rallied against back in the 1880s. But nonetheless... We do our work as unto the Lord. We hire our employees as unto the Lord. We treat everybody, whether they're working for us or we're working for them, as unto the Lord. And when we do our work that way, then God is glorified. That's all we need to know, and that's the bottom line.